and they can't figure out why they're going to lose. But whether you're timid or whether you're shock and awe, you have to have a grand strategy. You have to have a plan. And let me tell you, those plans can be upset. And I use that word literally. Your plans will be upset in that game because it's a game of chance. You're rolling dice. Blind luck will determine whether your army of 50 guys can be defeated by one. And yeah, that happens. And after something like that happens, you get very, very upset. Risk is one of those games that's, that no matter how much you strategize, you can easily lose. It's also a game where, you know, your cousin can declare that the person who wins the game gets a free lunch and then proceed to cheat the entire time so that he can get a free lunch, you know, hypothetically. But I want to show you a word, and this word has to deal with God. Okay, this is, this is one of the main questions that we have about God. And this is the word here. It's called providence. Now, by a show of hands, and, and be proud if you know this, this word, do you know what this word means? If you know it, just put up your hand, nice and high. All right, very good. Okay, so a handful of you know what this word means. Um, this is a very, very important word, and the more I studied it, the more I realized this word is fundamental to our understanding of God and our understanding as Christians. In Isaiah 46, 9, God says this, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times to things that are not yet done. God is essentially saying, I am a timeless God. I'm sitting above and beyond all of it. I know what's going to happen. I know what will happen. And I've been there already. I am a powerful God that sits above all of this stuff. In other words, providence, God's plan, is about everything. It's God's purpose in creation all the way to the day-to-day -day operation of the universe. It is God's master strategy and God interacting with you on a daily, moment-to-moment -moment basis. Providence is about everything that there is to do about God. It is a huge, huge topic. And along the way, we've been figuring out some of these characteristics of God. And let me tell you, providence covers all those as well. Over here, you'll see the words, holiness. God is a holy God. No evil can be in him or about him. He is above all of that. He is holy. And through his holiness, we understand his power, his absolute power. And his power is demonstrated and brought forward through his jealousy for us. And through his jealousy for us, we see his incredible faithfulness. And in his faithfulness, he promises us multitudes of things, both his love and his wrath, which are equal to each other, and abundant, and amazing, and incredible. God is a huge, complicated God that we can get little snapshots of here and there, but we don't fully grasp him because of his providence. And these characteristics that we got present a fundamental way of thinking about God. And this way of thinking about God informs how we interact with God and how we interact with each other, and how we interact on a daily basis. To believe in God is to believe that God is powerful and all-knowing. It also means that we believe that God has a couple of really big words. And I'm going to throw these out to you. Don't get scared by them, because I'll explain them, don't worry. But God is a transcendent God. He's transcendent. That means that God is above and beyond. It means that God is not governed by the same rules that we are governed by. You know, God is kind of like those girls in high school that I could never get to pay attention to me. 
I could never get a date with them. They were transcendent to me. They were beyond me, right? They were governed by a different set of rules. That's God. God is transcendent to us. But belief in a transcendent God means that God has set everything up in place. It means that God is over and above. And it would be very easy for us to say that this God, who is transcendent, wrote everything down, set it all up, pushed the start button, and walked away. That would be very easy to say if all we believed that God was above and beyond. But God is more than that. We also believe that God is imminent. That means He's right here, right now. It means that He's active. He's participating. He didn't just push the start button on history. He entered into history and is constantly acting, constantly making course corrections, constantly trying to get our attention to help us in our choices. God is an active God. We believe this, and we believe this fundamentally. And we understand this because of the providence of God. God has a plan. We say this all the time. There is a plan. This is God's providence. God is active. He is working here. Well, there you go. That's providence. We're all done. That's the shortest sermon of your life, right? Uh, we have one more major question to ask. And I hope you stick around with me for this, because it's a very, very important question. If God has providence, if he, if he is above and beyond, and if he is active, that means that he is powerful and his power interacts with us, And there's one glaring question that we have to ask. A few years ago, I was, I was sitting down with uh, a teenager, and I was trying to get her to participate, much in a service like this. Uh, we had youth that were getting up to lead worship and doing all kinds of wonderful things within the service, and I wanted her to share a little bit about her story. You see, she had come from a really rough home. There had been plenty of physical and sexual abuse there. She had survived all of that, and she seemed to be thriving. She seemed to be doing really well. And I wanted people to know that her life as a Christian was what helped her get through all that. And I wanted her to share that with people. And sometimes teenagers are, are well, actually not just teenagers, everybody can be really scared about standing in front of a group of people. That's why I'm impressed that all these teens are up here this morning. Uh, they can be very intimidating. And so I wanted to just simply interact with her and encourage her and help her through some of that fear of being in front of people, because that's what I figured it was. And I was absolutely shocked when I sat down with her and heard what she had to say. I asked why she didn't want to do it, and after some questioning she said, Jim, I don't want to do this because I don't believe it. Inwardly, I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean you don't believe? You've been coming to these camps and conferences. You go to a church. You've heard the message of Christ. You've heard the promises of God. You know these things. And she said, I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe anything you say. I don't believe that Jesus is Christ. I don't believe that God is a God of power. I don't believe that God is a God of love. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of this stuff. And she said, because I had to live through the worst years of my life. I did the worst things. Why would God do that to me? Why would a loving God, why would a loving, holy, just, faithful God let me live through all of that garbage? Why would he do that to me? And that's the question she posed. You may have heard it phrased differently before. If innocent people have to suffer, is there really a God? Why would God allow children to be killed by cars on a daily basis? Why are there people in Africa who have done nothing to deserve the plight that they are in, starve to death, and cry to death, and suffer from, from the AIDS pandemic? What did they do that is so awful that they have to suffer? 
Why do innocent people suffer if God is transcendent, He's above it all, and if God is imminent and able to do something about it, why doesn't He do something about it right now? Why? And I know everyone has heard this question phrased one way or another, and I think it's the most important question that we deal with. People who aren't Christians, this is one of their major hang-ups. This is the main thing, the main event. And so we need to look at that. If we say that God is a God of providence, that He has a plan, a master strategy, why is there suffering for the innocent? Well, there's a lot of different things that we can talk about. But I think we need to talk about some of the misconceptions that we have about suffering, and some of the misconceptions that we have about God and His relationship to suffering. There's a man by the name of Rob Bell. And uh, over the past couple of years, he's become quite a controversial figure in Christianity. Um, whether or not you, you, you follow him or you believe that he's right or, or whatever, uh, there's a lot of things that he said that are very, very true. I want to share with you a quote from him. He says that our tendency in the midst of suffering is to turn on God, to get angry and to get bitter, and to shake our fist at the sky and say, God, you don't know what it's like. You don't understand. You have no idea what I'm going through. You don't have a clue how much this hurts. And that's true. That's what people say. That's, I've said stuff like that before. And this is what God's response is. The cross is God's way of... The cross is God's way of taking away all of our accusations, excuses, and arguments. The cross is God taking on flesh and saying, yeah, me too. See, that's the beautiful thing about the God that we worship, this transcendent and imminent God. He came to this world, became flesh, and He suffered as well. Now, it's important that we understand His suffering, because He suffered the whole gamut of human emotion. He suffered rejection. He suffered intense joy. Well, He didn't suffer joy. <laughs> He suffered betrayal at the hands of his friends. He suffered physical abuse. He suffered rejection. He suffered from being terribly, terribly alone. He knows what all those things feel like. Yeah, he may not have been in your exact situation. That's absolutely true. He may not have all the details down that your life has entailed. But boy, he does understand what suffering means. And just a little while ago, we discovered that... The wrath of God is put out on sin, and Jesus accepted the full wrath of God. He suffered separation from His Savior. He has suffered. But that's not the end of the story. And that's where God comes and meets us and says, that's not it. That's not the end. My plan was to bring my son to this world, to have him suffer so that we couldn't interact with him. That we could be before God and have a God that knows fully what it is to be us. And we can stand before Him and cry out to the Father. Why? That is the plan. That is the part two. And sometimes we have some serious misconceptions about suffering and about God. And that leads to some problems. We'll talk about a few of these here. One of the things that I hear all the time is people say... God just wants me to be happy. Have you ever heard that phrase before? God just wants me to be happy. I don't know why this happens. God, God just wants me to be happy. So if I'm happy, then I'm doing the right thing, right? That's, that's kind of the mentality of it. That's where we go. 
And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. But chapter and verse, I'm having a really tough time coming up with that concept from Scripture. Instead, I see things like this. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord isn't slow about keeping His promises, as some people think He is. In fact, God is patient, because He wants, this is the very thing that God wants, everyone to turn from sin, and no one to be lost. What God wants is for people to turn from sin and not be lost. He doesn't want people going to hell. He wants people coming to Him, being in a relationship with Him, and spending time with Him. Ultimately, He wants people to be with Him in heaven, in paradise. This is what He wants, not our happiness. John 17, in the words of Jesus, verse 20, I am also praying for everyone else who will have faith because of what my followers will say about me. So he's praying for all believers, for all time. That encompasses us. I want all of them to be one with each other. I want all of them to be one with each other. Just as I am one with you, and you are one with me. I also want them to be one with us. Then the people of this world will believe that you sent me. Essentially saying, I want these people to be followers of mine. I want them to be interacting with me. I want them to have a relationship with me. And through that relationship, I want other people to come to know me. That's what he wants. What God wants is for us to be holy. God wants holiness from us. And through that holiness, he wants people to understand his relationship to us. And through that relationship, we should be bringing more people in. That's the goal. That's the point. That's the plan. That's God's providence. It's not so much that He wants us to be happy. Our happiness actually is incidental to this. Once we get all this figured out, happiness comes along accidentally. It just springs up. You can't help it because things are right. And you're right before God. But another misconception that people have is that God... God blesses people, and God, God blesses people that are doing good. Or God punishes people that are doing bad. We say this all the time, right? I mean, think about it. Today, it's, it's kind of a cloudy day, and you might be having a bad day. You walk out the door, and it just starts raining. And you're like, why me? You know, that's, that's the question. Why? Okay, you have to do this right now. Come on. What did I do today that is so bad that you're causing it to rain on you right now? You know, your car, your car stops on the McCabe Bridge, right? There's a lineup of cars, everybody's honking, they're really mad at you, and you're like, okay, God, seriously, right now? Come on, why me? What did I do today? Look, I, I said the things you wanted me to say. I didn't swear? Come on, please, let's just start. And that's a misconception. But that girl's question was, a little bit more seriously, she said, you know, why would God make me do this? What did I do that was so bad that God made me suffer like that? And you know, <coughs> sometimes, sometimes we misinterpret what that blessing is. You know, a while ago I had a, a Saturn, and it wasn't the best car. Um, it also had very bald tires, and I ignored those completely. Um, so a lot of my problems stemmed from that, which I wasn't willing to admit. But that car wasn't the best car. So, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what car I wanted. Uh, prayed about it, I was like, you know, God, bring us a car, give us a good deal, and all those things. It wasn't like the most spiritual prayer I did, but I just wanted a new car. And sure enough, God blessed us. He, he brought us a new car. 
um, through the car dealership. And I went there and I said, I was sitting in my car, I'm like, this is such a blessing, look, we have air conditioning. And my cup, little lighter things, they light up so I can see where I'm placing my cup in the middle of the night. We even have one of those really nifty little coolers, you know, you can just pop open the thing, put your drink in, the air conditioning keeps it nice and cold, so on a long trip, you always have a nice cold beverage to drink. It's great! It's a wonderful blessing. Until a few months later, and things started breaking down in my car. And I take my car into the mechanic, because I don't know what I'm doing, and I ask him, you know, what, what's going on? Oh, that's $700. Like, what? $700? <laughs> Every time I bring my car into the mechanic, it's $700. It doesn't matter what it is. Oh, your mirror's a little off kilter there. Oh, $700, please. You know, it's, that's what it is. And I just know every time I take my, my car to the mechanic, I'm going to be walking away much, much poorer. Um, and all of a sudden, this blessing that God brought me is no longer a blessing. It's a great curse. Right? It's like, why, God? Why did you break my brakes? Why is the transmission failing? Why, why is my suspension all messed up? And God's sitting there going, I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't break your car, Jim. And maybe, just maybe, the blessing is not the car. Maybe that's an incidental thing, maybe that's something that God wanted me to get, but maybe that's not the blessing. Take a look at what Jesus says. In Matthew 5, 45, he says, I make the sun rise on both the good and the bad people. And he sends the rain for the ones who do right and for the ones who do wrong. God doesn't punish us for the better. God doesn't punish us by breaking down our car on the bridge. That's not punishment from God. This, these things happen. That's just nature, or our nature. And in Matthew 16, he said, or in Matthew 6, he says this, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and rust can destroy them. You know what? I never understood rust before. I grew up in Alberta where it's dry as a bone. Nothing will rust. You can put a piece of metal in the ground and it can stay there for years and it'll be just perfect. Uh, out here, oh my goodness, rust can destroy. I've seen the underside of my car without protection. Rust will destroy it. It will eat it up. And thieves can break in and steal them, but not if it's rusty. See, he kind of has a thing going there. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy them, and thieves cannot break in and steal them. Essentially what he's saying is, I may bless you, I may give you stuff, but that stuff's not the blessing. The blessing is what you do with that stuff. Remember what God wants? I want all people to turn from their sin and come into a relationship with me. I don't want anyone to be lost. I want you to be holy. So perhaps that gift, that car, that house, that wonderful job that you have, that school that you're going to, the wonderful family that you're a part of, perhaps that's not the blessing. The blessing is what you do with that gift. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where these temporary things can't be destroyed. Even our lives, for crying out loud, are temporary gifts. In Ecclesiastes, it says that we are dust in the wind. That song that we just sang, we are a vapor in the wind. We're gone. We're here and gone like that. What do we do with the life that we're given? What do we do with the blessing that we're given? God may bless us, but that is not the extent of the blessing. Temporary things pass. We can count on that. Another thing he tells us in Scripture is suffering. Real problems in our lives. Those are inevitable. We live in a broken, fallen world. Death is around us. It's just a reality. We're not going to survive, and we're not going to live forever on this planet. 
Just accept it now. That's the way it's going to be. Bad things happen. Sin is in this world. You can count that you will be disappointed at some point in your life. You will count that people will fail you. You will count that relationships will break down. You can count that your health will give out at some point. Suffering is going to happen, and it's promised that that will happen. But that's not the end of the story. Is it God's plan that innocent people should suffer? No. It absolutely is not God's plan that innocents should suffer. It is God's providence that He can turn that suffering, He can turn that pain into power. It is the plan of God that He can turn mourning into dancing. Life's bitterness, life's horrible moments can be incredible sources of power, incredible sources of hope, if we trust and understand that God can change it, that God can take this world. Remember, He's imminent. He will act. He won't leave us where we are. He will change things around and do things for good. In Romans 8.28, He actually says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. He doesn't say, I will swoop in and swipe away every bad thing that's in front of you and you'll never hurt again. He says, I will work it together for good. You may suffer, yes, but that's not where I'm going to leave you. That's not the plan. I have other plans. When Israel was doing some very, very bad things, and they strayed very far from God, God, of course, punished them because He promised that He would do so. But in the middle of that punishment, the Israelites were crying out to God. They were saying, this is more than we can handle. This wasn't what we thought was going to happen. This is terrible, God. And God looked at them and said, I see your suffering. I know what's going on. And in Jeremiah 29, He says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God says, this isn't the plan, Israelites. God says to us, this is not the plan. This moment that you're standing in, this pain that you're feeling, the death of your family member, the suffering from abuse of a loved one, whatever it is, this isn't the plan. I have plans to prosper you. I have plans to bring you hope. I have plans for your future. And those plans are not cars and jobs and houses. Those plans are to turn mourning into dancing. Those plans are to, to bring you into his house and bring you at his feet. And so he can be our God. He can be our Father and be in that relationship. And that will be what everything is about. That is the providence of God. That is the plan of God. He even does some incredible things for us. He gives us his spirit. And he says, this is a deposit a guarantee of the things that are to come. I'm going to come to you and live in you. I'm going to put myself there if you accept me and let me be there. And then he says, I'm going to use that spirit and I'm going to empower you. And I'm going to take that spirit and I'm going to change you. And all of a sudden, these things, these sufferings, these real world problems, they're conquered. They're changed. God's plan is not for us to be comfortable and happy. His plan is that we be restored to Him. And if you're in the middle of suffering right now, do you know what He says? He says, wait on me. In the Psalms, He says, be still and know that I am God. Know that this isn't the plan. This isn't the end. There's something else in store for us. I don't want to trivialize anyone's pain. Pain is real. And it hurts very, very badly. The girl that suffered through those real atrocities... 
I've never experienced them. I don't know what kind of pain that she was in. And I know that that is pain that cuts so deep that it can be crippling. And her questioning of God, that's legitimate. We're even allowed to do that. We have an entire book of the Bible that's about that. The book of Job. Read it sometime. It's incredible. He stands before God and demands an accounting. But God's answer to him is this. I am God. And I am in control. He doesn't explain to him why. He says, I am in control. Have faith. And do you know where God is in the middle of that suffering? God says that His Spirit is put into those whom are His children. And His Spirit is there. His Spirit is power. His Spirit is all of these things. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, Now the Spirit, excuse me, now the Lord is Spirit. And look at this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the law of sin. Freedom from the laws of suffering. Remember, God is transcendent. He's above all those things. He can rise us out of that. He can change it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that is His plan. His plan is that we will be one with Him. And that in being one with Him, we'll be one together. And when people see that relationship, when people see that the Spirit of God is working through us, changing us, taking our sufferings and turning them into moments of incredible faith, that is what changes the world. People look at that and say, wow, I want that. What is, what is so different about you? And that is the desire of God. That is the plan of God. And that is God's providence. In a moment here, we're going to sing a song. And this song is all about suffering and pain. And while we're singing it, I really hope that you will take a look at it and sing it as a prayer to God. Because in the middle of our sufferings, that's when it seems like nothing can ever change anything. And that's where God says, no, wait, be still. Know that I am God. Know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to bring you into a proper relationship. To give you hope for the future. You have a future. If you're willing to accept that from God. So while we're singing this song, sing it as a prayer to Him. If suffering is something that you're dealing with right now, if you have a lot of pain in your life, this song's for you. Sing it to God. <laughs> 